Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 41 of Live and Let Die Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Gosei Sentai Die Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great, man. The weather's kind of miserable out, so that's lame, but, you know, aside from that, yeah, it's a it's a real gross bummer of a day. Um, but other than that, everything is wonderful. Um, Dave, today we are watching episode forty-one of Die Ranger. It's called Kujaku's Great Ascension. Oh man! Okay, so I feel like this almost has to be the end of the Kujaku saga. Well, I mean, we're yeah, I mean now that we're in here. now that we're closing in on the end of the show, a lot of these sort of side threads are getting wrapped up. Last yeah, week was sense. the Three Stooges. This week is Kujaku. So. Before we get into that, Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? All right. Well, our first star of the week is that we actually have another special guest. It's sort of an unusual run for us that we have a special guest, but our dad is in town from Sweden, and he's joining us on the show. He has literally never seen an episode of the show. I don't know that he listens to the show review portion of this show. And I don't think he's ever watched Power Ranger. He's coming into this totally blind. Is that right, Dan? Well, well, not exactly totally blind. I don't know if you remember, but I was actually your, uh, would watch Power Rangers with you guys when you were quite young. I did not remember that. I believe you. But all I really remember about watching Power Rangers is the Power Rangers themselves. Okay. Well, anyways, I do know who Power Rangers are. And believe it or not, I did listened to your uh, podcast a few times and and just out of curiosity actually queued up a uh, a, a super sentai episode okay so you have seen something of this yes i have and but one was fine Um, so yeah, that's our first star, man. Our dad is visiting from Sweden. If you are a semi-new listener to the show, our parents live in Sweden. We're not Swedish. It's a long story, but the point is our dad lives in Sweden. Mom and dad live in Sweden. So dad, as our guest, do you have a second star? Do you have anything kind of going on that's fun and interesting? Okay, yeah. So I actually, I do have a second star. It's a first star for me, but your mother may have a different opinion. <laughs> um, uh, while I'm in the United States, I actually have a plan to buy a new musical instrument. Now, wait, all right, will you have already purchased? First of all, does mom know about this imminent purchase? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't make these kind of purchases without getting prior, um, you know, UNA from her. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that, like, <laughs> you know, like she was going to hear it before no, maybe you yeah, bought the thing. Yeah, no, Carolyn. You already know about this, Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Sorry, I'm laughing about this. Uh, this is an ongoing... I don't know that I would say struggle, but... My dad has a instrument habit in the same way that other people might be said to have like a cocaine habit. So he periodically wants to buy new instruments and 
and and mom sort of titrates that out, I think. Yeah, well, that's true. But but the other issue is that your mother didn't really understand what my musical tastes were before we were married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and unfortunately, I leaned towards fiddles and banjos, and she leans towards big bands and musicals. I like all of those things, as is, I think, appropriate, you know, as the sort of uh, product of that merger. But yeah, but anyways, what the issue is that I have a banjo now, which I've had since I was 14 years old. Um, I know it well. Yes, yes, yes. So when I was in, when we moved to Sweden, uh, we actually found a very robust musical scene and people were actually interested when you said you played the banjo instead of running the other way. So uh, I actually get an opportunity to play quite a bit. And uh, when I play with other people, my banjo just doesn't really come through very loudly. And I thought, I know what the problem is. I need a banjo with a good tone ring. I don't, I don't know what don't that is. Know. Well, it makes the banjo louder. So that could be good. That could be bad. <laughs> right on. It'll be great for playing um, with people. It'll probably be uh, less great for mom trying to be in a place in your apartment where she can't hear it. But that's why you gotta hey, have two banjos. You have your home banjo and your travel banjo. Well, yeah, but and you can only play one at a time. And I can always stuff a stock in the back of it to make it a little quieter. There you go. Okay, so um, our second star having been concluded, Dave, what is our third star of the week? Okay, so our third star of the week, Matt, uh, I own a house, as you know, right? And I'm sitting I in it right not- now. Right. <laughs> That's right. So, listen, I am not a uh, I'm not a carpenter, Matt. I'm not a construction worker. I know this to be true. But, yeah, but I fancy myself a fairly dab hand uh around the house. I'm a handy guy, right? So, there's a there was long story short, I needed to replace a storm door in my house. And so we go in to replace this storm door. And at first, I'm like, okay, no big deal. I'll tear out the old one. I'll put in the new one. It's going to take me like an hour. Fantastic. I go to take out the old storm door. And, Matt, I love my house. I got it for a song, which is great. But the dude who lived here before me did some quote-unquote home improvements. And they are (laughs) just like garbage from top to bottom. (laughs) So, like, I took out this storm door. And he had, like, to install the storm. I think he, like, bought the wrong size. And so to install it, he had, like, hacked out part of the door frame with, like, a hatchet. Like, it wasn't even sawn out. It was, like, it was, like, cloven. It was cleaved out, Matt. (laughs) And so I had to, like, this is the story of home improvement, dude. Like, you look at a project... Well, no, Dave, the story of home improvement is that Tim the Toolman Taylor is married, he has three sons, he's got a neighbor he never sees the full face of... And needs more power. More power. (laughs) So anyways, but like, this is the story, man. You start to do a project, you're like, okay, this won't be that big of a project. You start it, 
you get halfway through, you realize it's a much larger project than you initially planned, you go to Home Depot, you get the stuff that you think you need, you get halfway home, you realize that you've forgotten the thing that you initially needed, you go back, you get the thing that you knew that you needed from the start but had forgotten, you get back to the house, you start on the new, more complicated project, realize that it's like slightly complicated in a different way, realize that you need all new stuff, you go back to Home Depot, and then you just sort of repeat this process ad nauseum. You just like, keep doing that until you burn your house down and slowly walk into the sea. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Matthew, I don't know if you recall, but way a long time ago when we were building our house, the one that you guys grew up in, that when I said, oh, come on, Matt, let's get in the car, we're going to go to Handy Andy, you pretty much almost cried. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because it was never so- just going to Handy Andy. Right, you never just go once. It's always like, I feel like Seinfeld telling you this story. Like, what's the deal with home improvement? Oh, Dave. And then he would launch, and I'm pretty sure this might actually be a Seinfeld bit that I'm just repeating, but it's true. Uh, So anyway, so I replaced my storm door. I'm actually almost done with it. I I do need to go back to Home Depot a fourth time to actually get a new piece of softening, if you know what that is. Uh, to cover a, no- a new thing. But I'm almost done, but I do have one more trip to Home Depot to make. No, you don't. <laughs> right. I think I have one more trip to Home Depot to make for this project. Yeah. So, okay, so speaking of Seinfeld bits, Dave, the, oh, yeah, let me just hop in. Action. The next star of the week is <laughs> Seinfeld, because, Dave, it's, it's on Hulu now, all of it, all, well, I... They say nine seasons, but the first season is only like five or six episodes. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But I think they've basically got the whole thing. No, it, it is. It's every episode. Um, okay, awesome. And I've been watching through it. I'm like halfway through season two. Uh, Dave, I don't know last time you watched Seinfeld. Seinfeld is hilarious. Uh, I actually just watched some last weekend. It was when they were sort of leading into it being on Hulu and they only had like a couple of key episodes. Oh yeah, they were trickling a few out. Right. So I watched Soup Nazi. So okay, so I'm watching Seinfeld, and Seinfeld holds up. But the thing about it that I forget because I haven't seen it in a while is that that show started in 1989. Holy like that God first half God. season was in '89. And wow, so when you man. go back and watch it, not only is it like a weird time capsule in the way that all sort of old TV shows are. But since it's so built on, like, observational comedy, like, all of the jokes are built around these sort of premises that they have to, like, work within the situation. But that was so long ago that, like, those premises don't work anymore. It's like if you watch an old horror movie and you just say, oh, okay. if these guys had a cell phone, then none of this would be happening. I feel like every right, episode right, right. of Seinfeld is like a horror movie in that way. Like, if they just all had cell phones... Like, you could just throw out half of those episodes, because those problems just wouldn't have happened. So I was actually, because we were talking very briefly about Seinfeld, and I realized something, okay? Okay. Because, you know, I like sitcoms as much as the next guy, but after a while, sitcoms kind of get boring, right? Sure. Okay, so like, for for a quick example, New Girl, Zooey Deschanel show, right? Uh Uh-huh. The cast is hilarious. It's really fun and funny. I watched the first three seasons, and now I kind of stopped watching it. Because, 
like the premise of the show is her like sort of romantic misadventures. And after a while, it's like, oh, did you do something wacky again? Ah, okay, right on. And the show was sort of boring. And I was thinking about Seinfeld in this context. I think, because Seinfeld is very famously like, it's a show about nothing, right? right? Like it doesn't have a premise. Like that's the whole point of Seinfeld, right? Yeah, it's all just about like those four people doing stuff. Right, and I think that's why the show lasted for so long. Because there wasn't a premise to get bored of. You see what I'm saying? No, I think that's very right. And what's really funny is I'll watch it, and a whole episode will be about how, like, you know, Jerry or George are, like, in love with some girl, and they're trying to, like, break into their apartment to steal their answering machine so they don't act, so she can't hear the message that they left. Again, another cell phone problem. Uh, But... In the next episode, not only is that woman not in it, but she is not referenced, like, at all. Oh, yeah, she's gone. Like, everything, almost everything, at least in the first couple of seasons, just resets after every episode. Right, so there's no, like, in in abandoning continuity, it's like a comic book. You know what I mean? Like, by not holding themselves to a sort of slavish continuity... They can kind of do whatever they want forever. It's Specifically, really it's sort of like, it's not like a comic book like X-Men is a comic. It's a comic book like Archie is a comic. Like, here are these was, character archetypes. I was just going to correct is what myself they do. to say that. <laughs> okay, anyway. I liked Archie comic books so much when I was a kid. I, dude, I do not. I don't get Archie. I'll tell you like, what, Dave. Actually, um, uh, this was a few months ago. But you and I had been talking about Archie, and I had been saying how I don't get it. And then I asked... Um, Chris Sims on his weekly oh, yeah. uh, Ask Chris column at Comics Alliance. You actually asked Chris. Yeah. Right? And he answered, and there's a whole article. So if you are having trouble sort of latching into how to get into Archie, uh, go check it out. It was a great article. Right on. Or you could ask your father. We will <laughs> do that. Okay. So, Matt, that's our fourth star. I was about to ask you what the fifth star was, but I realized I'm actually talking about the fifth star. So I've been playing some video games. Okay. Surprise, surprise. I know I'm blowing your mind right now, but... I'm reeling. So there's <laughs> two games I've been playing. The first is called Massive Chalice. I just picked it up. I actually picked it up and beat it. It's not a super long game, but it's by Double Fine Productions, who are the guys who did, like, Psychonauts, right? Oh, yeah. So it was a kickstarted game. I can't believe I didn't hear about it before, but I, I hadn't heard about it. I just saw it on Xbox. So I picked it up. And it is a tactics game. Okay. It's like a turn-based tactics game. And the idea of the game is that you are the sort of immortal ruler of this realm. And the realm is surrounded by like an evil miasma called the Cadence that is trying to like seep in and destroy your realm. Sure, why not? But here's the really cool part. You, as like the player controller of the game, are immortal, but the troops that you send out in an XCOM tactic style battle against this miasma monster are not, right? Okay. So what you are doing as a part of, there's like a separate kind of game where you are like managing the bloodlines of these heroes, Oh. To produce like the next generation of warriors 
to fight because the game takes place over the course of like 300 years, right? Okay. And so what you're doing is you're like, you're very carefully like cultivating these bloodlines for like positive traits. And you're like, oh, like, oh, that guy has like, he's like dimwitted and slow. So like, he's not going to have kids, you know, like he's just going to be a fighter. But like, this guy has all these positive traits. And so I'm going to marry him off to this girl who has really positive traits and they're going to have kids. And like the next generation of warriors will be so much more powerful. It's really, really fun. I definitely recommend you give it a, give it a try. And it's not like uh, I think you can just play it on the PC. It's not. Okay. It's not super de- on your PC specifically. Um, it's not real demanding. So a game about weaponized eugenics, huh? Uh, yeah. Yes, it is a game. <laughs> well, it's sort of sort of bumming me out that you said it like that. But uh, yeah, it is a game about weaponized eugenics. Thanks. But you know, in a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> You've been playing so, anything else? Anything else uh, I can bum oh, you yeah, out about? Dude, I've been. Uh, I did. I mentioned it last week that uh, I hadn't picked up The Witcher Three. I did pick it up, and it is predictably fantastic. Like, the story is really cool so far. the uh, The gameplay is really neat. The combat is fun and dynamic. There's like a million little things to level up. Like my level ups have level ups. Like my power ups have power ups. You know what I'm saying? I know saying? you love powering up. I know. It's like Exhibit built a game just for me. <laughs> <laughs> um. And here, okay, here is the other great thing about The Witcher. So in the story of The Witcher, you play Geralt of Rivia, and he is the titular Witcher. And in this game, like the game world of The Witcher, the idea is that there's monsters all over the place, and like normal people are sort of incapable of fighting the monsters just because like they're not tough enough, right? Okay. And so The Witchers are like specific people that have undergone like weird alchemical mutagenic processes to grant them like low grade superpowers, right? Like you do. But the witchers are like unionized. Like there's a like the witchers have a rule, like witchers don't work for free ever. Okay. Like it doesn't matter. Like if you want a witcher to do something, you have to pay them, right? Okay. Which is great because it solves the problem it solves like the narrative problem that bugs me in RPGs. Whenever you play a role-playing game, it's like you are like the destined hero and you will like save the universe. Also, this peasant woman has lost her pig. So if you could help her with that, it would be great. And it's like, dude, I'm the destined savior of like the hero universe, whatever. I shouldn't have to mess with this peasant woman's pig. I have other stuff to do with my time, right? Right. But as the witcher... You're like a mercenary. So if a peasant woman's like, hey, I need help finding my pig. Geralt of Rivia's like, eh, yeah, I got 20 minutes. I could stand to make a couple of bucks. Like, what's it worth to you? She's like, I will give you like, you know, 10 gold pieces and this potion. You're like, cool. I'll be right back with your pig. Like it, it, it builds into the narrative of the game why the hero is messing around with like a peasant woman's pig. And also why he is bothering like getting paid and also needing money to buy things. Because like in Skyrim, like I need to go fight a big ancient dragon to save the world. And to do that, I need the bow that you have in your shop. If I don't use this bow, I might die and the world will end. I don't have quite enough money. Just give it to me and we will all (laughs) live through this. Hook it up, man. Come on. I'm saving the universe here. But yeah, the Witcher. And also, Witchers are sort of like uh, outcasts. Like, everybody needs them, but nobody really wants them around because they're like weird mutants, right? Sure. Hey, they're protecting and the so world that hates and fears. And so it also solves them, the problem as to why 
Geralt of Rivia is sort of like perpetually hard up. Like he always needs a couple of bucks to like buy potion supplies because <laughs> people like want him around, but not totally. They want him so, close, yeah, just I not definitely here. recommend it. Okay. Well, okay. Those are our five stars. Uh, we are going to take a break. We are going to watch episode 41, Kujaku's Great Ascension, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. So, we have just finished watching episode 41 of Die Ranger. Dave, what's going on this week? So, this, Matt, is our final episode, I would assume, with Kujaku and Daigo. It is the resolution of her story. We see she kind of... Well, I don't want to give too much away. It's it's the resolution of her story. Like, this is it. This is this whole arc with Kujaku comes to an end. This episode... Her conflict with Gara is over. Her relationship with Daigo is over. You know, this is this is it. This is what we see. Okay, so we start out with a little bit of a recap about what things are like, where they stand between these three characters. Oh, so, yeah. If you don't remember, um, Daigo, of course, is our Green Ranger. Right. Uh. Kujaku is his on-again, off-again, uh, magical peacock Buddha girlfriend from 6,000 years ago. Yeah, magical peacock dream girl. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she has had sort of an arc of, you know, going from being extremely cruel and uh, vengeful to regaining her kindness. She is slowly being killed by the... Um, messed up, polluted atmosphere of Earth as it stands today. Right. Because her body was uh, born in a time where she did not have to deal with these sort of uh, pollutants in the air. Right. As she continues, her body continues to deteriorate. Uh, the peacock feather headdress that she wears slowly drops the feathers one by one. And when they run out of feathers, that'll be it and she'll die. Okay. Before now that happens, they're trying to get... a thing called the Sacred Peacock Tear, which will heal her. Right. Well, what specifically it will do is cleanse all impurities and such and such. Yes. Another thing to remember is that Kujaku is a member of the Dai tribe who, like, had gone and studied with, like, the Peacock Buddha, and that's why she is the incarnation of the Peacock Buddha. And last episode, well, last Kujaku episode, we also found out that Gara. Goma Commander Gara was also originally a member of the Dai tribe, and she left the Dai tribe because she got like a scar. And I can't remember exactly why. Like, I think she just felt awful about it, and she felt like she could never be accepted again. Well, and what so- it was, uh, Dave, what it was specifically is that she had gotten this scar on her face from like saving. Kujaku from some rubble that had fallen. Right. And she didn't exactly mind the scar uh, because she still had Kujaku as her friend. But when Kujaku left to go study to learn the magic to heal Gara, Gara, sort of not understanding why Kujaku had left, felt abandoned. And so she was sort of left behind. She had this unsightly scar that she was ashamed of and her only friend had left. And that's when she... Uh, turned to the Goma. That's right. So this has been like Gara's driving motivation over the past 6,000 years. And guys, it's not that bad of a scar. Yeah, it really... I can't... I cannot say that strongly enough. Yeah. Is that it is a... Like, 
really yeah, minor. I would not want that scar on my face, I guess, but it's not something for which I would hold a 6,000-year magical grudge. <laughs> yeah. So the the intro is sort of reminding us of all this. We get the quick title flash, and then the first actual scene of this episode that we see is Kujaku kind of sitting on the docks, just in like like a white pantsuit, kind of, just chilling out. It's a little flowy. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but yeah, it's nice. Yeah. So Daigo runs up. Again, we have no idea how he knows she's there. She just runs up and is like, Kujaku, how are you? Are you okay? How's your health? Is our world poisoning you to death yet? What's the deal? Now, she responds by saying, oh, my health is okay. Thanks to you and your friends. She doesn't explain this. And I don't know what she means, because the Die Ranchers haven't done anything for her, yeah. and her health is not good. So, maybe she's just being polite? That makes sense. Yeah, sure. Oh, by the way, one more thing about <laughs> what she's wearing before we move on, is she's wearing all white, which I think in Japan, like, if you're wearing all white, like, the only time that happens is for funerals, and maybe even only for burial wraps... I, I think that is, like, traditionally the case. Maybe that is not... Well, I mean, she is on the verge of dying, so well, I don't I know mean, if that's significant at all. Well, like, Shoji was wearing all white for his motorcycle race, so maybe it's not, like... Well, that's true. As much of... I don't know. I, we could just be wrong about that. So Again, most of what I know about <laughs> this stuff only comes from this show and other shows like it. So I could be completely wrong. I just wanted to throw it out there in case that was a thing. That would no, that would make sense. I would I could follow you there. So Kujaku, the f- second thing she asks, she you know, she says like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing fine." And then she says to Daigo like, "Hey, how's Gara doing? Like, how's Gara? Is she okay?" And Daigo gives her this look like, "What? What do you No, I don't I don't know. I don't know how she's doing. I hope she's doing poorly. She's the Goma commander." Yeah, we haven't been chatting. Right, and Kujaku looks really sad about that, and a little like, Kujaku, I'm not really sure what you expected Daiko to say. Yeah, you have some unreasonable expectations here. So, after that short exchange, a dramatic moment, right? A feather drops. Like a feather hits the ground. Okay, Dave, I have something to say about this. (laughs) Because every other time we have seen a feather fall from Kujaku, she is dressed in her Kujaku, you know, her sort of magical girl costume, which has a big sort of metal peacock-looking headdress thing. Right. She is not currently wearing this. I don't know what this feather fell off of. It's just suddenly (laughs) on the ground, and they look at it like, oh, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's precisely what I was going to say. So then she drops the bombshell. She says, listen, when two more of these feathers fall, like, that's it. I will die. I, you know, I assuming that, like, the feathers themselves are serving as sort of like a, a barometer of her health. Sure, that's her health bar. Yeah. She's so starting she to says, flash red. when two more of these feathers drop, like, that's it. I'm done for. But there is some good news. Daigo has gotten some sort of line on where the sacred peacock tier might be, or at least where they can start looking for it. Oh, yeah, that's right. So 
that's kind of, you know, like Kujiku looks excited, but that's sort of the end of that scene. Cut we, down to murder basement. <laughs> right. We see Kaku, Doshikaku. He's meditating. And then it sort of fades out and we see what we would assume is supposed to be some sort of like vision that he is having. So the first thing he sees is the peacock tear. And it's this same shot that we've seen before where it's like sitting on a rock and it kind of folds open like a flower. Yeah, again, this thing looks sort of like a ceramic avocado. Yeah, that's that's fair to say. And so we see that and then we see a whole bunch of people and they are just wandering around in the street and then simultaneously they all start like choking and dying yeah they have like pox all over them (laughs) that's right someone's like i can't breathe oh no and they all just fall down and then it cuts back to kaku's meditation he's like what the true nature of the peacock tear and he doesn't elaborate for us because it's kaku and he's useless but we know that something is up Okay, so it kind of zooms back. We see Kaku. He says something enigmatic, and then it cuts away, and we see Gara, and she is sitting in that same sort of like magically summoning circle that we've seen before. And it's actually, it's really creepy. She's got like a straw doll, I think. And Yeah, a very simple doll made out yeah, of straw. Yeah, like a voodoo doll. And she's like bleeding on it. <laughs> this is the best part, though, is she doesn't take her gloves off, so she's, like, bleeding through the glove. <laughs> I am I am increasingly convinced that those gloves are just supposed to be their hands. Okay, you would be right, except, like, we see a close-up on her hand later in this episode, and there's clearly, like, stitching. I mean, like, hey, they're man. obviously gloves. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I do not know. All I know is that the gloves have fingernails, and they never take them off. Okay, so anyways... So she, like, is dripping blood onto this, like, voodoo doll thing. And she says something about, like, summoning hatred from, like, the depths of hell or something Uh, The red depths of hell, I believe. The red depths of hell, that's right. And that's it. That's the whole, we don't see anything aside Uh, from that. She says she will never let Kaku find the tear. Okay. I'm sorry, not Kaku, Kujiku. Right. Sorry, both of them are just in my notes as K, so it can get a little scurry when they're both in the same oh, episode. Oh, see, I do, uh, I do KJ for Kuchu. Uh-huh, very clever. So anyways, so she's like, I will never let her do this. And then that's it. We don't see anything else about this scene. All we know is that she's doing something with this voodoo doll. We we don't really know. No. Now, we won't have to wonder for long. Yeah, but thankfully. in the next scene, uh, we are visiting a small shrine by the side of... A lake, I guess? A lake and also a quarry, we will find out later. Well, I mean, there's always a quarry. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> okay. So there's this little shrine by a lake, and it's Daigo and Kujaku. Kujaku inexplicably is in, like, full peacock gear. I don't know why she decided that this was, like, an appropriate moment to change, but she has. So they wander up to this shrine... And Daigo is sort of telling her this story like, oh yeah, ages ago, like all the villagers were sick and there was a thing and they all drank from it and everybody was healed. And so they built this shrine for that thing. And And I'm convinced that this is the peacock tier. And then we see like as part of the artwork of this shrine, 
it's obviously the peacock tier. It's the exact same piece of like peacock Buddha artwork that we've seen a dozen other places in all the other Kuchiku episodes. Yeah, and so what has happened is that at some point in the history of this village, there was an earthquake, and the peacock tier has fallen into the earth, and they put the shrine up over where it had fallen. Yeah, so Daigo says, I am convinced, like, this is the spot. We just need to find it somewhere. Right. So they're walking away from the shrine, and there's, like, the... They get exploded. Like, there's... Yeah, (laughs) like, they get about three steps away, and then all of a sudden, explosions. Yeah. So they get attacked by... We we don't know what it is at first. They will tell us in a moment that it is Gara's living ghost. I don't know what that is. Yeah, not only do I not know what that is, that is never explained. Yeah, it's nothing. It so is... what we what we get is someone who looks like Gara shows up, but she's not wearing Gara's costume. She's wearing like sort of like battle armor. She's wearing a costume that, frankly, is like a million times cooler than Gara's. It, yeah, it looks sort of out of place because the you know the Goma commanders are always wearing like weird leathers, and this looks much more like. You know, monster armor. This yeah, sort of this thing is that like other... a super suit, man. It's like a, yeah. it's like a cool spandex suit. Her hair is all like crazy and flowy. She's got like a neat headdress on. Like she looks really cool. Like definitely way cooler than Gara herself actually looks. Daigo is like, ah, well, this is clearly Gara. Is corrected because it is apparently Gara's living ghost. He goes to fight it, but apparently you can't fight a living ghost because it just keeps <laughs> teleporting around and breathing <laughs> right. fire on him. Yeah, it doesn't, now, I think what we get, the idea of the living ghost is, like, it doesn't seem to talk, like, it doesn't seem intelligent, it's like a... Astral projection. Yeah, it's like an astral projection that is just there to beat on Daigo, which it does, really yes. successfully. And, I am, and and we are led to assume, that they never actually say as much, but I don't know what else it could mean, that this is what she was doing with that voodoo doll. Oh, she yeah, was, like, was bleeding into it to create... Some sort of avatar of herself. Yeah, I, again, zero explanation, not even like a sentence from Gara that says like, I have summoned my living ghost from the depths of Red Hell to attack you. Like, she just did the thing and now the living ghost is here and we're just kind of meant to connect the dots, I would assume. So, Daigo is fighting the living ghost. Gara and Kujaku sort of separate out from each other or from Daigo, rather, and the ghost. And Gara says, like, something, 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 let's fight. And then she says, all this over a scar. And I think in Gara's head, it's like, all this because of, like, this scar that I have because of you, like, blah, 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 blah. But from my perspective, <laughs> Gara may as well have just said, like, let's fight because I'm super petty. <laughs> okay, Dave, I, I am looking it up. A living ghost, or in, see, it's an Ikirio? I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, but it translates to a living ghost or an Eidolon, like from uh, Final Fantasy. In Japanese popular belief and fiction, refers to a spirit that leaves the body of a living person and subsequently haunts other people or places, sometimes across great distances. No, oh, right on. Okay, so this is like a, this isn't just a living ghost. This is like a weaponized living ghost. Yes. Okay. So, Gara and Kujaku, they sort of separate out. All this over Scar, streaky fight. 
Like, you know, that sort of, like, animated streaky fight they do sometimes? Yeah, they turn into, like, flashes of light and, like, bounce off of each other for a minute. Right. Uh, except Kujaku is, like, rainbow streakies, which I thought was fun. So, cuts back to Daigo. And the ghost is just, like, beating on Daigo. He has no chance. And then, for reasons that, again, are completely unexplained, like, the earth cracks open beneath Daigo. Yeah, it's, it's something, it is something is that the ghost has done, but the earth cracks open underneath Daigo. He starts to fall into it. The other rangers arrive, seemingly from nowhere, but, you know, from plot contrivance. Right, this is, this is a thing that they do. So they show up, and they are fighting with the living ghost, not really successfully at all. Um, but the, they are unable to get to Daigo before he falls into this crevice. Right. Again, I think we all know where this is going. Oh, yeah. This is, uh... This is going? Well, okay, remember, they already told us that there was an earthquake and that the peacock tier had been buried deep underground. Daigo has been looking for the peacock tier. All of a sudden, there was a convenient fissure in the earth into which Daigo falls. And you will never guess what he finds there. Yeah, you will never guess, guys. Okay, it's the so... Peacock. Oh, well, okay, so first of all, he, he falls down this pit, I guess. Falling, falling, falling. And then all of a sudden, he is caught, I guess. He starts hovering, surrounded by, like, rainbow chi. And then he is sort of gently let down onto the ground. Because remember, Daigo has identical chi to Kujiku. That's why they were originally drawn to each other. So what I guess when he gets within, like, proximity of the sacred peacock tier, like, it activates? Maybe? I guess. Um, And it is literally right there. It is just sitting on a rock right next to him. (laughs) Like, like he lands on the bottom of the thing. There's, like, fog all on the ground. He just looks to his left. And it's just sitting, <laughs> just sitting right there. Like, he doesn't have to fight anything. There's no. He doesn't have to like hunt for it or like seek it out with his chi. It's it's like the first thing that he sees. Okay, so Daigo finds the tear. We cut back to the fight between Kujiku and Gara. Um, right. Gara sort of jumps down on her from off of a cliff, but into Kujiku, a quarry. Into the quarry, of course. Uh, Kujiku summons like an explosion of Kiryoku and blows her off. Right? Yeah. It's like a big rainbowy explosion. Now, Daigo, somehow, at this point, <laughs> has gotten out of this huge fissure in the earth. <laughs> just see, he runs it from off camera to the other rangers, like, with the tear. And he's like, hey, guys, I got it. No, there's nothing, no explanation whatsoever as to how he got out of this enormous hole in the ground. Like, a deep enough hole that it took him a few seconds to fall to the bottom of it. Right. So he is there, and he's like, hey guys, I got the tear. It cuts back to Kujiku and Gara, who are inexplicably no longer in the quarry. Now they're like back on the beach. And Gara like kind of gets up, and there is like blood, it's supposed to be, I guess, kind of streaming from her eyes. So she opens her eyes, or she tries to open her eyes, and she can't, but she says she is blinded. Yeah, that explosion of Kiryoku has burnt out her eyes, basically. Right. In my notes, I say, prediction, the tear will be used to help Gara. I'm just throwing that out there and say, I'm calling it right now. That's what this tear is for. 
Uh, in my notes, I just have it saying, this is pretty grisly. It actually is pretty grisly. Like, like a weird voodoo doll. sad, yeah. Like, Like, she's just wandering around with, like, bloody eyes, and then she's unwilling to stop the fight. She's like, no, we are still fighting. I don't know where you are, but, like, let's do this. And she just starts, like, throwing fireballs randomly. Oh, yeah, and she hits, like, just to the left and right of Kuchiku, like, five times. Like, you would think if it was truly random, she would have hit her with at least one of them, but she doesn't. So we cut back to the Dire Rangers, and they are frantically searching for Kujiku. They find not her, but another one of her feathers that have fallen. So now Daigo knows there's one more feather, and once that happens, it's it. Right. Dude, and Daigo is losing it. Oh, he is a freaking out. Right. So Kaku sort of teleports in out of nowhere... Is this the guy with the with the dusty rose pajamas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him. Oh, sorry. Doshi Kaku Dad is their like sensei leader guy. Like if you remember from Power Rangers, remember Zordon? No. Okay, I don't know. Okay, the floating head in the tube. Anything? Oh yes, floating head in the tube. Of yeah, yeah. Okay, so Doshi Kaku is like their floating head in a tube, except less useful. Uh huh. Yeah. Zordon would occasionally give the Rangers, all the time actually, would give the Rangers like good advice. Joshikaku is sort of maddeningly enigmatic. Like he never says anything valuable. Yeah, I mean, occasionally he shows up and does something extremely useful that no one else could possibly have done, but usually he just sits in the basement and like talks in riddles. It's really frustrating. Okay, so Kaku appears and he, he lays some unfortunate news on Daigo. He's like, listen. I have something to tell you. I figured this out. The tear will not help. He says, like, it will heal Kujaku, like, temporarily, but the environment itself will continue to kill her. Like, she will not be able to survive. Right. You can clear out the impurities that are, like, infecting her system, but you can't, like, reprogram her body to not respond that way to them. And uh, eventually, like, this is just going to catch up with her. Like, this is her fate. So Daigo has a brilliant idea. He says, well, then I will just purify, like, I'll purify the whole world. Like, I will, I'm not really sure about the logic here, but he says, I will get rid of all of the pathogens everywhere. Like, that's how I will save her. I will just purify everything. Right, I'll just bring it, I'll bring the environment back to what it was originally. Right. Which initially seems like a great idea. And Kaku, because he's a jerk, just sort of lets it hang in the air for a second as though that's going to work. But Which guys, will. it will not work. Right. And this is, be prepared for some truly comic book logic here, guys. So <laughs> Kaku says, no, 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 that's not going to work because modern humans have like built up like he says pathogens, but I think what he means is antibodies like have built up antibodies in their system to help them fight off diseases. And if you destroy, if you do whatever it is you're going to do with the peacock tier to make the environment so that like Kujiku can survive here, it will also kill off all of the antibodies that people have. And so then the next time they get sick, it will basically be like a global pandemic and everyone will die. And this we find, like, this is the vision that he had. I can't breathe. <laughs> right. This is people just falling down in the street. 
Yeah, one person they're all like, struck gets by disease sick, simultaneously, and then the entire world dies. Right now, Daigo just straight does not believe him, or I think what is probably more accurate to say is that he is uh, unwilling to believe him. Yeah. And he's just running in between Kaku and the other Diaragers, just saying, like, no, like, you have to help her, please. Like, like guys, 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 seriously, guys. <laughs> he just keeps saying this over and over, like, you need to save her, please. My notes just say, Daigo is intensing it up all over the place. Oh, man, he is emoting. Yeah, like, I, I legit thought that his veins were going to pop out of his neck, like... All of the like the tendons are like streaming in his neck. He is he is getting into it. And it's sad. Like his magic peacock girlfriend is doomed to die and is going to die, you know, probably in the next well, I mean how long how much longer is this episode? <laughs> like eight minutes. Well but this is something I don't understand. She's six thousand years old, right? Right. He's not gonna be six thousand years old. Right? No. Okay, so why doesn't he just, like, give her a little bit of the peacock tears so she lives another 50, 100 years? Oh, no, no, oh, sorry. So, Kujaku had been, like, sealed away for 6,000 years. So, she was in, like, sort of hibernation. Uh And so, she's only been out of hibernation for, like, a couple of months, maybe. And she's already about to die. So, this is is a fairly quick process for her that she's gone from, like, full health to... uh, to kick in it. Okay. Now, what we don't know is how frequently the peacock tier, like, provides that life-giving solution, and whether or not she could just sort of be on a regular regimen of it. This is never discussed. Like, this is <laughs> no. not an option. It is either we <laughs> do it once dosage? and it fixes her forever, or we do not do it at all. <laughs> right. The log- like, the, the practical logistics of this peacock tier are a, like... Nightmare. They just make no mystery. sense. It's a lot of hand waving. <laughs> right. Okay. So this is what happens. So Daigo, unwilling to accept this pronouncement, just books it. Like he has the tear in hand and he's like, well, then I'm just going to go leave and I'll figure something out. So he's running away. Kaku actually like attacks him. Like he hits him with like a Kiryoku blast to get the peacock tear away from him recognizing perhaps that Daigo was about to do something rash. Extremely rash. Yeah. Daigo. Now, so, okay, so now Kaku has the tear. Daigo just loses it, attacks Doshi Kaku, like full on, like tries to take him out. It doesn't work, obviously. Kaku like just kung fus him. He does but some kung fu. Is, he does some like weird thing where he waves his hands around and like a steam jet opens up underneath Daigo and knocks him around. Yeah. Kaku just lays. I mean, it's not even a contest. Kaku, yeah, dad. It's like one hand. He's like holding the peacock tier with one hand and like doing some other stuff with the other hand and like launching Daigo around. Daigo stands no chance. But it's a it's a cool moment showing, showing sort of just how much Daigo cares about this. Right. So this brief exchange happens. The tier drops. Kujaku like appears out of the tear. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. It happened, but it did not make any yeah. sense. Like, she kind of, like, her rainbow chi, like, oozes out of the tear and then coalesces, and then she's there. Again, for reasons that are never explained. So, she 
has sort of like intuited the problem. Because she says something to the effect of like, no, she looks at Kaku and she's like, Kaku. And Kaku looks back and he's like, Kujuku. And like in that exchange, I guess enough information is transmitted that Kujuku now gets it. Yeah, she knows the score. And Daigo has sort of run over to her and is standing in front of her like, make a break for it. I'll hold them off. Right. And so she says, so she's like, I just need it for like one thing. Like, let me just get like one drop of this peacock tear. And then I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. And so she like turns into a rainbow peacock and flies away with the tear. So they all chase after her because I guess they're just chasing after her rainbow chi because I don't think they know where she is going, but... Uh, yeah, whatever. Regardless, yeah. plot contrivance, plot contrivance. They all arrive at the spot where <laughs> Kara and Kujiku had been fighting and Gara is still sort of stumbling around blindly. Right. So the rangers follow close on their heels. The living ghost appears and engages the rangers so that Gara and Kujiku can finish their fight. Because Gara is still like, I am going to take you out. So she's like launching fireballs all over the place, not hitting Kuchiku. No, no. I mean, Gara is pretty bad off, but she is insisting that they have their last battle and like finally finish this. Rocky. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. In this it's... case, Gara is Rocky. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess Kuchiku is Ivan Drago? Maybe? Listen, Gara, Gara is not a human. She's like a piece of iron. <laughs> So, so Gara's like launching fireballs, trying to take out Kujaku, failing to do so. Kujaku kind of like one shots her. She like throws like a ball of chi at her or something. Gara hits the dirt. Kujaku kind of runs over. Gara says like, all right, this is it. Like, finish it. Clearly, like, this is the terminus of our fight, and I've lost, but I, like, curse you with my death or something. She doesn't say all that. I feel like it's implicit. She, she almost says exactly that. She says, uh, finish me off, I will continue to curse you as long as I have breath, or something like that. Oh, yeah, that's right. She does. No, yeah, she does say almost yeah. that. Still, uh, still being petty. Yeah, still super petty over, like, this really non-existent scar. I mean, it exists, but. Yeah, but again, it only exists when she wants it to, because she can, like, Goma magic it away. Like, it only appears in the episodes with Kujiku when she brings it out to say, like, ah, remember why I hate you? This thing. <laughs> it's like, Gara, why? you're a shapeshifter. Clearly, you can just not have it if you don't want. But that's not enough. No, okay. no, she has to revel in her hatred, Data. This is how they get their power. This is how they get their power. So, now, Kujiku... She pulls out the sacred peacock tear and, like, drips it onto Gara's face. And it heals not only her scar, but her eyes. And so now Gara is, like, restored. Problem solved. Kujiku says, like, Gara, try opening your eyes. And she does, and we see sort of from her perspective, you know, there's sort of like a, a cloudiness that coalesces into Kujiku smiling at her. Right. I don't actually. Do we see Gara leave the scene? Or oh, we do in a second. Um, okay. Let's see. Because as this happens, like the ghost disappears. The living ghost is banished. Oh yeah, like, like kind of screaming, like ah, and then she disappears. Like the the Rangers don't beat her. Gara just sort of like lets it go, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, 
And then sort of as the rangers are running over to Kujiku, well, specifically as Daigo is running over to Kujiku, um, because I think the last feather falls at this point. Yeah, it does. This is, he sees the last feather fall and this is kind of it. So he runs over and they're all untransformed at this point. They got blown up out of their costumes. Right. Uh, he runs over and as this happens, Gara just sort of, I get the feeling that they just hadn't written a good time for her to leave the scene. And so like, okay, well, they're all running over. Gara, you just leave. She just sort of gets up and scurries away. <laughs> okay. So Daigo clearly doesn't get what's happened. He's like, why didn't you just kill Gara? Or he doesn't say it, but like, he's clearly confused about Kujiku's actions. He's like, why did you do that? You could have used it to save yourself, blah, blah, blah. And Kujiku is like, Daigo, you know, she says it in a much nicer way, but she's like, Daigo, I literally spent my entire life training to master Peacock Kiryoku so that I could save Gara. I've now done that. So like, I'm good. Right. Like my wish is granted. I have fulfilled my purpose. I have helped my old friend. You know, we got into some trouble along the way, but eventually the plan kind of worked, and now I'm good. Right. So she says, I'm glad that I met you, and, like, I'm glad that I was able to help Gara." And I'm, yeah, like, I'm glad that I was revived. Oh, that's that right. She says, I'm glad I was revived, thing. I'm glad I met you. And then, and then that's kind of it. Then she dies, and Daigo shouts Kujiku's name for a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Wait, wait, wait. Before this, like, right before she goes and she, like, launches the sacred peacock tear into, like, a river or something. Oh, yeah, because they're by the lake. She just hucks it into the lake. But not, like, super far. Like, they could go get it again if they wanted it. Yeah, probably. They saw where it fell. It's just sinking straight down. I don't know why. Okay, this is another thing that really distresses me about how they treat the sacred peacock tear in here. Does it only have one drop? Because if so, well, then no, I understand we everything. It, we know that it saved an entire village at like some point in the indeterminate past. Okay, then why would she get rid of it? It's not like the one ring and it will corrupt people or something. Dude, like, it's I don't know. Just, it's the panacea. It will literally heal anything and everything. It healed a 6,000-year-old scar and like eyes that had been burned out. Yes, but at the risk of destroying humanity. Oh, yeah. Maybe she is concerned about, you know, accidentally destroying all the pathogens and we'd all die of disease or something. I guess, but then she just threw it into a pretty major water source. <laughs> did not think about that. <laughs> okay. So then all this stuff happens. She's like, I'm happy to have met you. She dies. Kuj or, uh, Daigo just yells Kujiku's name for a while. By the way, if you thought... Uh we haven't been bringing it up a lot, but I think every third word in his dialogue this year or this week is just Daigo shouting Kujiku over and over and over again. Oh, I love yeah. Daigo. And Daigo's great. He's got to tone it down just a little bit. Oh, yeah, guys. Sorry. When we said that Daigo was like super intensing it up all over the place, if you thought that that had stopped or been toned back, uh, you should not have assumed that. No, in like, no wise. <laughs> Daigo is relentless. Okay. So it kind of like cuts away. I think maybe there was like a commercial break or something. But it cuts back. 
and then we see Daigo's feet sort of walking into the the lake. It pans up, and he is holding Kujaku. The sun kind of comes out, and her there's like a rainbow tractor beam, and Kujaku kind of disappears into the tractor beam. Yeah, and then, you know, the other four rangers, like like last episode when the other four rangers were standing sort of a respectful distance while uh, Shoji was shouting about the death of the Three Stooges. Right, it's same like, sort it is of. sort of the same scene. Like, we see in the sky a vision of Kujaku, uh, and she has sort of ascended into, like, a divine version of her previous self. She's got, like, all white on now, and her headdress is different. Right. Yeah, so so it's kind of like uh, when Darth Vader dies, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, sort of like that. Dad, you have accidentally stumbled onto a recurring theme of this show, which is that they rip off Star Wars all the time. All the time. Like, there was a couple of episodes, like, midway through the show, it was just Star Wars. Okay. Like, straight up, there was a guy with, like, a dark armor. He was a bad guy, but had started out as a good guy. The main good guy is secretly his son. Like, it was just Star Wars. Oh, yeah. He's like, killed he by had a boss, boss who with, has, like, like lightning, lightning powers. It was it was just Star Wars. And yeah. so every once in a while, it'll creep back in. <laughs> okay. So the narrator sort of tells us, like, this is it. Kujaku has kind of ascended into heaven and is become the avatar of, like, the Rainbow Buddha. And that's kind of it. And we see Daigo, and he has a feather and this, like, weird head bobble that Kujaku always wore. And that's it. That is the end of the episode. So, Dave, what was your high point of the week? Hmm. High point of the week? Dang. This is not actually my favorite episode, man. It wasn't... After, like, the brilliance of last week's episode, eh, this episode didn't have a whole lot for me. Uh, high point? I... Actually, The Living Ghost. The Living Ghost was pretty cool. The Living Ghost was cool. That was a cool monster. Especially, it's always neat when there is something that, like, the heroes just can't beat. Yeah. Yeah, no, I dig that. Uh, How about you, man? High point of the episode? Uh, high point of the episode? I don't know. Why don't I say that this is the resolution of Kujiku's arc? You know, in the first couple of episodes where we saw her, she was super vengeful and almost a villain. You know, I didn't she kill somebody? Uh, I think like, she does, yeah. Or almost kill some, like, innocent person? Yeah, she does not mess around in those first couple episodes. Um, but this is sort of the culmination of her arc where she has regained... Like, the kindness of her soul, she has fulfilled her original purpose to help her friend, and she is able to sort of go off into the sunset peacefully. Yeah. Which is nice. Dad, did you have a something you particularly liked about the episode? Well, you know, this is the only second episode that I've ever seen in the whole thing, and and I I really think you guys probably spent more time analyzing this story than the writers spent writing the story. Oh, yeah. yeah. We spent a solid... The episode was only like 20 minutes long, and every week we spent a solid 45. Yeah, but I think that for the 20 minutes of the episode, they probably only spent about 10 minutes sitting around saying, well, let's kind of do this this week. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, well, because, I mean, only the ep- half the episode has to be an actual story. The rest of it is all kicking. Yeah, there is a lot of kicking. Okay, so something to remember, <laughs> Dad, is that this is a show for, for babies. Like, this is like a children's television show. It doesn't need to make, like, that much sense. Uh, but you're right. There's just a lot of stuff that is that just kind of happens, and we just roll with it. Uh, so, Matt, a low point? Low point for you? Okay. I have a low point this week. It doesn't actually have to do with anything that happens in the episode. Okay. It is actually about something that doesn't happen in the episode. Okay. So, this week, we have the culmination of uh, Kujiku's story, right. right? Last week was the finish of the Three Stooges. Right. Week before that was the last episode with Jin, right? right. So, four... Epi- episode before that was the episode where the great king of terror flies off into space. Right. Do you remember what happened at the very end of that episode other than the great king of terror flying into space? Because let me tell you, the last thing we saw in that episode was Ko. Oh, that's right. remind you, is a 10-year-old boy wandering through (laughs) the destroyed streets of the city alone and like kind of brainwashed just stumbling through the ruins, dead-eyed, like not knowing what to do or where to go, or probably not even in his right mind. In these last three episodes, we have not seen the Dire Rangers even mention him, let alone like try to go find or help their friend who is a child, who is lost. Okay, wait a minute. But in like last week's episode, were they, uh, or no, no, no. Last week's, I for, no, yeah, last week's yeah. episode, Wong Tiger shows up. Yeah, Wong Tiger's there. Did you see Keeper Ranger? Well, I would assume that Keeper Ranger would have to be in Wong Tiger, wouldn't he? No, Wong Tiger can move around on its own. Okay. They all can. So we just have no idea where Ko is. He's just no, a child. No, Ko is a lost child, and they seemingly do not care. And that is my <laughs> low point. This is the third episode in a row where they have not lifted a finger to look for this kid. That's a good point. <laughs> So what's your low point, Dave? Uh, I think my low point is that the sacred peacock tear was just like sitting there. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they could have done a little bit beyond Daigo, like falls into a cave and it's literally the first thing that he sees. Like maybe he had to go through a maze or yeah, something. I mean, literally anything. Walk, take a few <laughs> steps in a direction before he saw it around a corner. Like he just lands and it's there. So, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of whatever. Fate can be a mysterious thing, Dave. I guess so. <laughs> and, Dad, do you have any final criticisms of the show? Uh, final criticisms, no. But I, I will say a low point is, what's, what's the uh, peacock girl's name? Kujiku. Kujiku, yeah. I have to say that I thought she had pathetically small little pen knives to fight against Gara. Oh, yeah. She has, like, these little, like, dumb little knives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Gar has this awesome, like, weird basket hilt sword. But I also don't understand why are they using swords and pen knives when they can just throw like these chi bolts at each other. Uh, it is never explained. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's you know, um, be- uh, for excitement. I guess the show would be kind of boring if it was literally just people standing in a field like throwing energy bolts at each other. So. Okay. Yeah, because the Dire Rangers also have laser guns that they use once every, like, I don't know, seven or eight episodes. And they're super effective. They just never use them. So I think that's it for us, man. 
Yeah, that is going to do it for another episode of Live and Let Die Ranger. Uh, before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we we're mentioning on the show, we're on Twitter at supersentaibros. If you like the show, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help people find the show. Super Sentai Brothers is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Um, Dad, thank you very much for joining us on yeah, this. Man. It was a lot of fun to have you. It's my pleasure. And uh, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm and Matt. The Super Sentai Father. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>